Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you are glad to be in church today? Come on, how many of you are glad to be in church today? Hallelujah. Well, um, I'm doing part two of uh, this message on uh, eternity, and uh, so I'm just trusting God that I will be able to, um, I'll be able to minister uh, this message in a, in, a, in a manner that will glorify God. So let's uh, just open our hearts today and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and we ask that you would speak to us. We pray that your fire would fall today, Lord, in Jesus' name, in this place, Lord. Let your fire fall, Lord God. Move in this place, Lord, we pray, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise God. I'd like us to start by reading Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13. And um, I'm reading the New King James, and it says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wives and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came out, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you do not know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Praise you, Jesus. And um, thank you, Father. So here we see the, the story of the ten uh, virgins. And, you know, really the message is we must live ready for Christ's soon return. You know, it's clear that in this parable it's speaking of Christ as the bridegroom and it's speaking of his soon return. And, you know, theologians have argued over what exactly uh, the, the meaning of this passage here is. But, you know, in truth you could say it works on a number of different levels. Because, you know, it speaks of watchfulness in the face of Christ's imminent return. Uh, but it also speaks of the prepared heart of the one who has surrendered to the deeper work of the Holy Spirit in his or her life. And I think that is so important because Ephesians 4.30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed to the day of redemption. Because resisting or saying no to the voice of God can become a pattern in your life that ultimately ends up sealing your eternal faith. Because to say no to God today may be difficult, but to say no to him again tomorrow becomes that much easier to the point whereby it, comes, it becomes a pattern. And like last week I said, you may come to the point where you become utterly oblivious or dead uh, to the voice of God, where you become deaf to his voice. How many of you know the Spirit of God can deal with us about things? And sometimes, listen, all of us at times have sought to ignore that still small voice, the conviction of the Spirit, but it's so important important for us that like the Bible says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts and so this is the thing you and I have a date with destiny an appointment that we cannot avoid or reschedule 
And with regards to the parable of the ten virgins, clearly there are those who are ready and those who are not. And so that's why they couldn't give the oil to others because, you know, God deals with us on an individual basis. And what's been learned over a lifetime of seeking and obeying God cannot somehow be handed over in one moment to another. And that's why, you know, it's so important. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved. A workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You have a responsibility to mature spiritually. You have a responsibility to grow. And again, the anointing oil is costly and it is unique to your life. That's why Psalm 133 133 in verse 2 in the message, it's like costly anointing uh, oil flowing down the head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robe. So Again, this parable speaks of the sifting and judgment of all who purport to follow Jesus Christ. And again, it's one thing to say you follow him. It's something entirely to actually live that out in your daily life. And so you could also say there's a hint of the rapture, um, you know, the, the, that taking away of believers before the great tribulation when the Antichrist is revealed and when literally all hell breaks out on this earth. And so I, I do believe there's, there's a hint of the rapture even in this passage. And you could say that the wise virgins are those who are rapture ready. And no, if you're living in unrepentant sin, you're not rapture ready. I think that's important. You know, the, uh, I, I believe this is a principle found in God's word. Um, you know, if you're having an affair, if you're downloading porn, if you're getting higher, living with your boyfriend or whatever, you're not ready for the rapture. You're not ready to stand before Jesus Christ, okay? And you could say that those outside the wedding feast are those who are not rapture ready. They're left behind to face great anguish and sorrow as they go through the great tribulation. And so, again, I'm not trying to say they're not saved, but what I'm saying is they're not ready. Because don't tell me, like I said, you're having an affair. You're ready to be taken up and go to the marriage feast of the Lamb. You're not ready. And and really, the message of this parable is about being ready, okay? And so, I want to ask you, are you ready for eternity? Okay, because the message of the parable is, is, is very clear in my opinion that there are those who are ready for eternity and those who are, who are not. And so the, the return of Christ will come suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And in the same way, like I said, as there are those who are ready for Christ's return and there are those who are not, there are also those who are not ready for eternity. And for truly, many are called, but few are chosen. This is what it says in Matthew 22 verse 14 and so Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 and let me make the distinction I'm not trying to uh, uh, you know preach legalism or working for your salvation etc but you know the Bible says here that God has set eternity in men's hearts Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 he has made everything beautiful in its time and he has put eternity in their hearts And so eternity resonates in our hearts, and and yet Christ spoke in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 about the narrow way. And he said, um, 
Matthew 7, verse 13. I'm going to be reading quite a few verses today. I want to see if I can finish this message. But it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there are few um, who find it. And so, again, Jesus never said that following him would be easy. He never said that becoming a Christian would be without its challenges. are our trials. Uh, uh, Verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What did Jesus say to the Pharisees? They preach, but they do not practice. And so, again, this, this, this is important because uh, we, we must understand God expects us um, uh, t- to walk, like the words of Johnny Cash, to walk the line. So Christ spoke of the narrow and the difficult path, uh, way that we who are called to follow him will walk on at times. But as difficult and as challenging as things may be, we also have the assurance that God is with us. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, Emmanuel, God with us. So the Lord is with us But let me say this, what a terrible thing it will be for those who, according to the passage I just read there, to those who have prophesied, cast out devils, and even worked wonders in the name of Jesus to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Some of you might respond and say, is that that even possible? Well, this is what Jesus said, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So again, it's so important that we live this life that we do God's will and how can you know God's will you cannot know God's will unless you know God's word amen and that's why it's so important you know bring your Bible to church get into Bible school and you will grow spiritually Luke chapter 13 and Jesus here uh, is talking about repentance and he said verse 5 I tell you unless you repent you will all likewise perish. So Christ calls us to repentance. What does repentance mean? It sounds like a very religious term. It simply means to turn. So you're going this direction, you, you, you turn around 180 degrees. And so, uh, it, you know, like I said, you're practicing sin in some area, you stop and, and, and you, you live a different way. So Christ calls us to repentance, but in verse um, uh, 22, he, he shows us here the consequences of living in unrepented sin. Amen. And so uh, they went through the villages and uh, teaching and journeying through Jerusalem. Then one of them said, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many I say to you will enter, uh, seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, when you begin to stand outside and knock on the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I never knew you. Um, where you are from, then you will say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. Let me read that again. And you will begin to say, uh, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you're from. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And I've always found that, that, that verse very, very sobering, that there were people who were literally sat down and ate a meal with Jesus. They, they literally heard Jesus teach and yet they missed heaven. You see, this passage here shows us the consequences of hearing but not doing. 
These people heard Christ, but they did not obey Christ. They were hearers, but not doers. They were in the crowd, but they were not in Christ. So close and yet so far. You see, eternity will reveal many things to us. It will reveal many things, including those who are serving Christ and those who are serving themselves. And now again, let me clarify, I'm not talking about working for your salvation, but I am talking about working out your salvation. And the Bible says, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, in many ways, these verses speak of those who would claim Christ as Savior and yet reject Him as Lord. And sadly, there's no shortage of Christians or even churches who have bought into this delusion. I mean, we've seen the emergence of so-called gay-affirming churches, you know, all around the Western world. And yet there's nowhere where that behavior is justified in the Scripture. And so, you know, the Bible talks in the book of Revelation about those who live and practice a lie. You see, God's standards haven't changed, even if ours have. He's a holy God, and those who would serve him must be holy too. Because for far too long, we have sought to live like the world, and yet God responds, as in the book of Daniel, chapter 5, when he put the handwriting on the wall for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took the sacred... Um, uh, 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 Articles from the temple, he was, he was drinking wine out of them, he was having a party, and suddenly uh, a hand uh, just starts writing on the wall in front of them all, and it says, many, many tekelu farsen, and, and they were st rightly struck with terror when they saw a hand, you know, you know right there in, in, in front of them, a divine hand writing on, on the wall, and so they sent for Daniel, as he was the only one who could... Um, you know, understand and, and uh, uh, you know, work out what was happening here. And I, I want to read Daniel chapter 5 and verse 17 because I, th I think there's something very uh, uh, sobering and, and something that really applies to us. And um, so the king offered Daniel all sorts of gifts. Daniel answered and said, let your gift be with yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make it known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And so again, we are responsible for those uh, to learn the lessons uh, that those who have gone before us have, have, have learned and have experienced. And so, you know, we need to have this sermont amen and so uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, God humbled Nebuchadnezzar he was he lived like an animal out in the fields and God restored his his mind because he stepped into pride but here his son uh, he didn't learn the lessons that his father did and he does the same thing he arrogantly you know praises gods of gold and wood and silver and bronze etc and yet denies the existence of the living God and and here God brings judgment and writes on the wall and just for the sake of time um, uh, I, I, I want to turn to verse 22. But you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, although you knew all this, and you've lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. I, I, don't, always, I don't always want to be banging on a, 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 about certain issues in our society. But let me just say this. You know, our, our society's determination 
to you know, ex- exalt self and to exalt um, you know, humanistic ideals and to celebrate things like pride and to uh, portray you know, the barbaric killing of unborn babies as being somehow uh, virtuous and progress and a woman's right, etc. I believe this is all an example of us as a society lifting ourselves up above God and above his laws and above his ways and saying we know better. And it will end no different for us than it did for every society that went before us that chose to defy the ways and the word of the living God. It says you've lifted your heart up, you've praised gods of gold, bronze, silver, etc. And it says, and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all of your ways you have not glorified. Just take a deep breath today. That was a gift from God. And as a generation, we need to come back to the place where recognizing our very next breath is a gift from God. Our life is a gift from God. Listen, everything in your life may not be the way you want it right now, but you're alive. And you're healthy. And you're able to walk in here today. Listen, we have so much to thank God for. Just by virtue of the fact that you woke up this morning. We should be so thankful. And so, this man didn't give God thanks, acknowledge him. Then the fingers that were sent from him, and the writing was written. And this was the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, ufarsan. This is the interpretation of each word, many. God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. Tekel, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And I believe that applies to so much of the body of Christ right now. I know that's not politically correct or popular preaching, but I believe it applies to us today. We're an apostate generation. We have become so desensitized to sin. Fact is, we've become so desensitized to things that our grandparents would have been absolutely appalled and shocked by. Fact is, we watch a lot of it for entertainment on TV. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. There is a divine scale that sifts both our emotions, our motives, and our actions. You see, there is a God who hears and sees all. We can fool others, we can even fool ourselves, but we cannot fool God. Fact is, our heart lays naked and open before him. He knows us, and we must one day give an account to him. You know, John 5 verse 22 says that God has committed all judgment to his son. But the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. You see, it's rather ironic for those who say, my God doesn't judge. They cannot have read the Bible, because the Bible is full of judgment. It's full of it. You know, the judgment seat of Christ is mentioned in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. And it says... For why do you judge your brother? Why do you show, uh, it says, why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. As it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 
The Bible says we will all give an account of ourselves to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive uh, the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So here it's talking, I believe, about eternity, about the terror that will strike the hearts of those who are not ready to stand before the Lord. Now just to clarify, those two verses are relating to the judgment of believers. Last week we read about the great white throne judgment in Revelations, and and that is talking about the judgment of unbelievers. The judgment of unbelievers ultimately is not going to end well because it's going to end with the lake of fire. The judgment of believers, however, is different. It's not a judgment for salvation. If you know Christ as your savior, if you're washed in his blood, your judgment was placed on Christ at the cross. The judgment judgment seat of Christ is a judgment of rewards. But I truly believe there are many who will see their works burned up because it was done with a wrong motive. And so, again, there is a judgment that is coming. And so, uh, this is important. You know, uh, A.W. Tozer said this. Many people say, try Jesus. You don't try Jesus. He is not here to be experimented with. Christ is not on trial. You are. Think about that. Christ isn't doing... Yes, Social media may try to put Christ and his words on trial. You know, a lost and a fallen world and, you know, celebrities and perverted, you know, movies and all these kind of things may decide to sit as judge and jury on God and his ways, but ultimately, all of us one day will stand before him to whom we must give account. He sits on the throne. It doesn't matter how much money or influence or power certain individuals or groups may seem to have, they are nothing before the creator. Why? Because he is the one who has given us breath. John 12 and verse 46, I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Let me read that again. I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For not come to judge the world, but to save the world. It's important to understand what I'm saying. Hear my heart. I'm not trying to, you know, put anybody under condemnation. I'm just simply saying Christ came the first time to save, but he is coming the second time to judge. And we are, to whom much is given, much will be required. You know, we have been given so much knowledge through God's word, but we are accountable for the knowledge that we have been given. Fact is, there's never been a generation that has had more knowledge available to them than ours. I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. We must not give place to darkness in our lives. Like I said, it may be unforgiveness or bitterness or some secret sin or some habit or some lifestyle or whatever. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to walk in the light. And for too long, I've seen, as a, I, I got saved in 91. I've seen so much foolishness over the last 30 years. 
I mean, a lot of it is a consequence of weak preaching. Pastors are more focused on growing their churches than growing believers. And it's shameful. I wouldn't go to a weak church if you paid me a million euros because your conscience will become deadened, you will become dull spiritually, and you will fall asleep. There's churches even in this city, I wouldn't go if you put a gun to my head. They're nice people, they love God, but I'm not gonna do that because I have a destiny. I'll go somewhere where I feel uncomfortable. I'm gonna go somewhere where I start repenting and I get into my Bible when I go home. I'm not gonna finish this message. I was up this morning, half five, said, Lord, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I can't even finish the message anymore. But you know what? The Bible talks about his wife has made herself ready. We have to make ourselves ready for eternity. The, it doesn't say he has made us ready. And I, I just believe this is a timely message. And so if you don't mind, I'm just gonna take my time to, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to finish it most likely, but I, I do think it's important we hear what he's saying. I've come as a light into the world that whoever believes me should not abide in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For that, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. God doesn't leave you playing Russian roulette with your eternal soul. You know, I was brought up Catholic, and so many Catholic people, sincere, good people, spent their lives, you know, praying and, and hoping that someday you'll get to heaven, hoping that you've done enough, or hoping that your family will pray enough prayers after you die to, to get there. You know, there's so many different religions around the world with very good, sincere people who do their best to live good lives and do their best to try to aspire to, to get to heaven or whatever they believe is, is after this, this life. And yet the Bible here says that in a Eternity, we will be judged by what he has said in his word. Can you see why it's so important that we read the Bible? Why it's so important that we study what his word actually says? The secret to a prepared life is found in the Bible. If you want to be prepared for eternity, read this book. That's why I encourage you, get into Bible school. You know what's on Zoom? We've got great teachers, it's on Zoom, so you don't even have to go out of your home in the evening. You've no excuse. I just wanna encourage you, sign up for that. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. So he said to them, but who do you say that I am? 
Have you answered that question? Do you know who Jesus is? Have you really answered that question in your life? Is he the one who authorizes your fire insurance, so to speak? Or is he the one who is Lord and Savior of your life? You see, some people sign up for fire insurance because, I mean, ultimately, who, who wants to go to hell? But this is the problem. It's not enough to accept him as Savior. You must accept him as Lord because Savior has to do with heaven, but Lord has to do with earth. So there's things I could do. There's places I could go. There's, there's you know, things I can do in my life. But because Jesus is my Lord, there's a line drawn there that I cannot cross. There's places I won't go, people I won't associate with, things I won't do. Why? Because Jesus Christ has not just become my Savior, He has become my Lord. Can anybody say today, Jesus is Lord of my life? Because when he becomes Lord, it changes everything. You lose your fear of what people will think, and suddenly you become more conscious of what will God think. Who do you say that I am? They said, some, uh, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, others one of the prophets, but he brings it down to them personally. He says, but who do you say that I am? And it says, Simon Peter, and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. How many of you are glad that God is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? He's building his church. You are his church. And the beautiful thing is this. It's only when Peter discovered who Jesus is that Peter discovered who Peter is. How many of you know God knows you better than you know yourself? He knows. He knows you. And, and this is why a lot of people spend their lives trying to find themselves inverted commas. You cannot truly find yourself. You cannot truly understand who you are until you discover who he is. And, and he said, I will build my church. So who do you say Jesus is? Because if you receive Christ as Savior and Lord, you will be saved. And if you reject him, you will be condemned. Mark 16 and verse 15, Christ's final words. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And this is the beautiful thing about the gospel is, is in a world where, where so many people become obsessed with, with culture and with color and with nationality, here God shows us the world back in a time when people lived and died within 50 miles of where they were born. You know, one of the reasons why we have so many nations in this church is I wear my, my nationality lightly. I love my nation. I pray for my nation. But I understand that my citizenship isn't Irish. It's not European. My citizenship is in heaven. I am bought with the blood of Jesus. I'm a child of God. And if you know Jesus, then you're his child as well. It doesn't matter what your color, your background is. We're brothers. We're sisters. We stand together for the purposes of God in Jesus' name. He who believes in the baptized should be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. According to the Bible, there are only two possible 
outcomes in eternity. Heaven or hell. That's it. God draws a line. God only sees two types of people, and it's not male or female, it's not black or white, it's not east or west. God just sees two people, those who are saved, those who are, who are lost, those who are on the way to heaven, those who are on the way to hell. And that is why there's such an urgency with regards to the preaching of the gospel. I think this is part of the problem, is that many times we're going to churches where the gospel is not actually being preached. Just hearing a bunch of psychobabble, feel good nonsense to kind of affirm you and make you feel comfortable. I believe over these few weeks, some of you have become, you know, uh, you've had a, a sense of the eternal. Because when we get a vision of eternity, it changes everything. There are only two destinations, heaven or hell. You may be virtuous, religious, wealthy, or accomplished, but if you won't receive Christ, heaven won't receive you. Without Christ, you are not ready for eternity. Without Christ, you are not ready to die. Because just like the poor man, uh, Lazarus and the rich man, both of them died. You know, the rich man, in spite of his wealth, couldn't keep him from dying. Because neither fame or wealth or accomplishment, not even healthy living, can insulate or immunize us from eventually succumbing to death. You know, this is the sad reality. It's a statistically proven fact that 10 out of 10 people die. We live, we love, and we leave. Whether we like it or not, we all have a date of birth, and we all, without exception, have a date of death. And while carefully eating or obsessively exercising or even plastic surgery can try and make us look or appear more youthful, sadly, you cannot turn the clock back on your life. The truth is we are all here on temporary stay visas and one day that visa will be revoked. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Remember now your youth in the days, remember now your savior in the days of your youth. Before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you say I have no pleasure in them. Here again, it says, remember your savior in the days of your youth. Why? It's already said God has set eternity in our hearts. So there's something on the inside of us that instinctively knows that time is ticking and that something inside of us instinctively knows we were created to, to live forever. We know it deep down. That's why we resent death. That's why we fear death. That's why nobody even wants to talk about death. We talk about somebody's passing. We don't want to talk about, you know, the D word. But it's inevitable. And here it says, remember your savior in the days of your youth. Why? Because God has a purpose for you that is bigger than what you can see right now. He has a plan for your life. I know it's a, a cliche, you know, but you know, a, a, again, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. God has a plan, but remember this, Satan has a plan as well. And if you reject God's plan, you might say I'm following my plan. No, that's the devil's plan. 
It might look good, but it's going to end in tears. There is only one plan for your life that will ever bring happiness and satisfaction, and that is his plan. That is why you must come to that place saying, Lord, have your way in my life. And so, remember your Savior in the days of your youth. Don't, like I said last week, don't take the attitude, okay, I'll do it when I'm 80, I'll do it when I'm old. You know, when I've, when I've sowed my wild oats, when I've done what I want, when I've partied up a bit, listen, you've no idea. You've no idea you're going to make it that long. You've no idea you're even going to be here tomorrow. Every day is a gift from God. And so, again, Verse five, it says, for man goes to his eternal home and the mourners go through the streets. Remember your creator before the silver cord is loosed or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher shattered at the well or the wheel broken at the well. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So remember this, your life is a gift from God. Our life is a gift from God. That being so, we need to make a sober assessment of our lives. Are we ready to face death? And more importantly, when it happens, and it will, do you know where you will go? Because the Bible doesn't leave us wondering. I think it was uh, the church father, Augustine of Hippo, said this. They then who are destined to die need not to be careful to inquire what death they are to die, but into what place death will usher them. See, the question is, the burning question is, is not the manner or the time of death, but rather the termination of life's journey. Will it be heaven or will it be hell? And if that question doesn't strike terror into your heart, then, you know, uh, I I, I believe there's something, you know, out of balance in, in your walk with God. Because we must be awake to eternity. We must be awakened to the reality that we have an eternal soul that we will spend eternity somewhere. Amen. And this is, this is the issue, is that we live in a generation where so many people are blinded to eternity. People are so distracted, like I said, with social media and with life and, you know, with issues and etc. that many times people don't even take a moment to reflect on eternity. But really, this, this, this message or this, this series is... Um, is just really, I believe, God looking to, to, to shake some of us, firstly, to, to assess our own lives. Because like I said, when you look at your life in the light of eternity, suddenly you realize there's some things that need to change. But also, being mindful of the fact that there are so many others who are not ready for eternity. And this is why we must say yes to him. Amen. We must say yes to his plan, to his will, to his purpose. And so I've just got through the introduction to the message. I'll, I'll finish it next week. But if you could stand to your feet.